everyone, welcome to Bookversations. We're your hosts, Sayed, and I'm Mahmouda. Join us as we have conversations inspired by books. Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Bookversations. This episode's conversation is inspired by Helena Beeler's Travelers, a novel about a variety of migrant experiences. So last week we mentioned that we were going to talk about gender and masculinity. But the book that we chose doesn't quite approach it on an in-depth basis. So instead, we are going to be reading another book called The Tower of Islam. But it's a 400-page text. So um, that discussion will have to be pushed on until the end of the year. But for now, we are going to be talking about Helena Beeler's Travellers. So Suad, tell us what the book is about. So the Love basically goes like this. Modern Europe is a melting pot of migrating souls, among them a Nigerian-American couple and a prestigious arts fellowship, a transgender film student seeking the freedom of authenticity, a Libyan doctor who lost his wife and child in the waters of the Mediterranean, and a Somalian shopkeeper trying to save his young daughter from forced marriage. And though the divide between the self-chosen exiles and those who are forced to leave home may feel solid, in reality, such boundaries are tenuous, shifting and frighteningly frighteningly soluble. Moving from a Berlin nightclub to a Sicilian refugee camp to the London apartment of a Malawian poet, Helen Abila evokes a rich mosaic of migrant experiences. And through his character's interconnecting fates, he traces the extraordinary pilgrimages we all might make in pursuit of home. That is what the book is. It is literally an interconnection of stories. What did you take away from the book or what did you enjoy about the book? I think for me, I loved a lot of things about the book in general. So I loved the writing. I think he's very good. He's just, he chose the best words, I guess. Like they're just some people, authors are very good with like being precise with the words that they use and how they describe things. And I thought it was really well written. And I also thought it was a beautifully done story. I remember I finished reading it and I'd gone and I went on Twitter and I tweeted at him saying this is one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. Oh, he liked that's it. Cute. Oh my god. But yeah, um it was one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. I remember I finished it in one night because I started and I was like, okay, I'm gonna take my time to read this. But I was like, this is it's so good in terms of emotions and experiences. And I just wanted to know more and find out more. And that's some of the interesting. Things, I, I didn't find it that way. I, I found his writing to be so yeah. it's unique. There were times yeah, where it, it is did very not different. work for me. Really it is different. very different. And I can't remember what exactly is different about it. But it was, I agree, there were like moments where I was like, oh, this is genius. But then other mm-hmm. times, I just found the writing distracted. And I don't know why. So it's not really I like a perfectism. I can't remember why it was. But I feel like sometimes part of reading is like it's an emotional experience. That's and something true. about and that's the way from the say. stories were written did not, it didn't really hit home for me personally i get it and i think the reason why i felt as i did about the book is i currently live in berlin right and so when he talks about these streets and these people i'm like i've seen this i can see this and like even some of the experiences of the main character so there's there's a moment where he's in the post office and he's trying to post something and he's trying to communicate with the lady he doesn't speak german she doesn't speak english and they're shouting at each other and people are like what are you doing and it's uh, funny because I'd experienced something similar before in in a grocery store. Or like yeah. there was also a scene where that's one of my favorite quotes in that book. But I didn't add it to my favorite quotes. So there's a scene where um this main character has brought another person to the house 
the a black guy when his wife is having hosting friends over mm-hmm. and this lady Anna asks so that the line goes Anna was asking Mark if he had experienced any racism in Berlin surely Berlin was the most liberal and welcoming of all European cities no and yeah. I remember I read that line and I laughed so hard I, I laughed so hard I laughed for a few reasons first of all I've been asked the exact same question before. Second of all, when I moved to Berlin, or I, I decided two weeks before to move to Berlin, and I had read a few uh, blog posts about Berlin, and yep. a lot of them were titled literally the most the most international city in the world or the most diverse city in the world. And obviously, as a black person coming from black Muslim coming from um, London, I'm thinking, can there be somewhere that's better than London? Oh my god, right? Yeah, like excited. It's a slap in the face. It's a shock. <laughs> every time I tell people this story, well, when it, every time I tell black people who live in Berlin that I've met the story, they laugh too because they're like, "Who lied to you?" <laughs> between Lisbon and Berlin which one would you say is better in terms of like your black migrant experience like living there black migrant experience I would say Lisbon and the reason I say that is at least in Lisbon you had like it's not always a I mean it's not even a bad thing you you had clutters of spaces where lots of black people lived right here I was talking to someone who grew up black in Berlin and she was telling me about how a lot of the times you find that black people scattered in Berlin and it's because they didn't want to become Get her rights because of the, the the way that they had been seen anyway during the Nazi regime and Nazi regime and all of that stuff where people had to stay far away basically hide your face because then if you're in clusters they they come for you they target you and that's kind yeah. of what you see in Berlin and also I would say that even though I did have racist experiences in Lisbon as you do in a lot of European cities unfortunately. Berlin is the first city I've come to and I haven't felt safe. Wow. I, like, and I've lived in weird places. What is I've, I've it? In- what is it about Berlin that you think makes you feel unsafe? It was a, I think it was, a, it was a culmination of stuff. It was just a combination of so many different experiences. So when I first moved to Berlin, I was really excited. And I, I was yeah. so excited about learning German. I was practicing my German and Duolingo. I was ready to put it to the words. And one of the first phrases I learned in German was, um, do you speak English? And by asking German, because I didn't want to assume that people speak English. I I think it's quite rude to go to someone's country and assume that they all speak English, right? So I was like, you know, I'm going to do my best and try to at least be polite and ask first. Not that my German is that good. So I remember I went to the store and this lady was selling something, blankets and stuff. And the, the price wasn't clear on one of those things. And I went up to her and I said, oh, in German, does she speak English? Because I wanted to clarify the price. And she yeah. started shouting at me. She was like, what? this is Germany. This is a German country. We only speak German in here. Blah, blah, blah. She is going So she wanted on. to make you speak like German by five Luckily, bro. Luckily, a lady, an old white lady, she came up to me and she was like, oh, ignore her. She's just taking this language thing a bit too seriously. Tell me what you want. I will translate it for you. And then I was like, it's fine. Like, I just, I don't need this. It's not that deep. Like, yeah, it's not well, that it. was just one yeah. of my experiences. I've had so many. And also, I think maybe it didn't help that I was living on where I was living before I moved. Kind of like the outskirts of Berlin. And yeah. even though people were speaking, saying things to me, first of all, it wasn't a diverse place. I think throughout my time there, there was, I only saw maybe two or two other black people. And actually, I kid you not, one time in Ramadan, I remember we'd been on lockdown and I was going to grocery shop and a random black man on his bike, we'd never seen each other before. I guess 
he was happy to see another black person because he was cycling. I'm not joking. He stopped in the middle of the road to talk to me. He's like, oh, wow. hey, sister, how are you doing? You think we're best That's friends? Like and I was like, I mean, like, I embrace this. And we were talking like we had known each other forever. I'm not joking. Like it was it was like that. And I think part of the reason why I didn't feel safe was when I was living there, especially like in the winter when it started to get dark very quickly. Yep. I used to be scared to go home late because I've had people like screaming stuff at me from their cars as they're driving past or like across the road. And like even at the train station and the bus stop, there's a specific man who I used to hate catching the train or the bus because he would always either give me the worst looks or he was always saying stuff. Again, it's in German, but he's shouting and there's hostility in his voice. And I know that there's nothing kind coming out of his mouth. And I've also had a physical assault on the bus. I mean, that but that one, I mean, it could have been either because I was Muslim or it could have been because I was black. It could have been a mixture of both, right? Yeah, and I think that's the no, unfortunate no. aspect. Like, you're never no, really, no. You're, you're caught in the crosshairs. Like, you don't know whether it's because you're black or whether it's because you're Muslim. Because you're like, Muslim, yeah. Death, yeah. Like, whether it's one of those people. Um, but I think, yeah, like, just on the subject of your experiences, what the book does really well is kind of, like, present the different, ex- like, the different migrant experiences um, mm-hmm. all the way mm-hmm. from the is, like, completely dehumanizes um, and the violence of it that I don't think we talk about enough or give enough attention to. I thought he did a really mm-hmm. great job of showing, like, the impact of the system and the emotional toll that it, tells, it takes on people on different levels so the character that i remember now is the one that was on the hunger strike I know. that God. was I, that. Do you, I think that that is based on something that happened for real but i just couldn't find okay. the actual story because i remember this was this something similar definitely was in the news in 2015 or something but i don't remember the story and i've been trying to find it but i can't find it but that was an intense experience they, it was because that was the thing I loved about the book. I love books that make me which feel story, strong. Yeah, I was gonna ask which story stood out to you the most, like in terms of the emotional impact of it. Uh, I would say mm, two people's stories. The man yeah. who was always going to wait for his wife at Checkpoint Charlie every yeah. Sunday. It's so sad because you never know, right? But you can. The moment you stop going is when you've accepted that there's a possibility that the person may never come back. So the story is basically that they, they escaped, um, I think, from Libya and yeah. on the refugee, on the boats. I don't remember what happened, but there were issues. And before they'd traveled on the boat, they told her that if anything happens and we're separated, let us meet again at Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin. Um, but he and the daughter, they make it to Berlin, but she didn't make it with them, with, her, with their son. And yeah. every Sunday because that was the agreement, right? We'll meet on Sunday at Checkpoint Charlie. I think, yeah, so every Sunday you'd go to Checkpoint Charlie with his daughter to see if they would find her. And that can drive you crazy because you can imagine that you've seen her down there or like just because you really want something to hold on to. So it's ultimately about grief. And I think, yeah, you know, the interesting thing that I thought as as I was reading the book, there's so much that's happened just in the past 10 years and we're in our 20s, like, and we think about the amount of wars that we've witnessed in Libya, in Syria, in mm. Somalia, in like there are so many things happening across the world. And I think as as much as we read it in the newspapers and we try we try to empathize about the story and what it must be to live those experiences, it's impossible for you to fully get it. And I think mm-hmm. this book was I a agree. necessary step in actually just seeing the horrific things that people amongst us have had to live through and it makes you like examine yes. 
this concept of um, the anti-immigrant attitude that, again, is growing in the West <laughs> at the same time mm-hmm. as the refugee crisis is getting worse. And I think that story of, like you mentioned, of him just going to the train station every week and holding on to hope, it speaks to like a larger symbolism of a permanent state of like grief that people mm-hmm. are in. Mm-hmm. Like when you've seen war in that state and you've, you've tried to escape, there's so much trauma there to unravel. What? through to and do you even get the time the resources to even work through that trauma when you're still trying to get your what's the lowest one in the master's hierarchy you're still trying to get like, basic needs yeah would, would you ever get to a point where you can actually work through that yeah that's a good point honestly like subhanallah it puts things into context about just the life that we're living yeah I, and i think there were some parts of it that stood out to me so for example um when i went before lockdown there's a mosque near my uni where i used to walk down to and mm-hmm. i used to see like a few not many but a few black people there every single time like i would go for every prayer and they'll be there and i was wondering why and there's one of them actually used to say salam to me all the time and sometimes we'll chat like oh what are you doing here in berlin and so on and so on and i remembered i was like it just made me kind of uncomfortable because i was like i don't want them to be living the stereotypes about black people which is yeah. oh you go somewhere you don't have work you're just smoking and drinking and blah, 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 you're relying on our government as they always say right and i remember one day i went up to him and i was like why are you guys always here why right because i mean yeah. i don't want to be that judgmental person who has the privilege to go to uni and so on and then come here and be saying oh you people just standing outside there right um, and i just really wanted to hear from his mouth why and he was saying to me how a lot of them, they'd left their country, wherever it is that they've come from, to, to Germany, for example, for a better life, right? Yeah. And they're searching for something and hoping that they would be able to get a stay here. So they spend literally all the money that they bring with them trying to get citizenship or literally a visa that increases their stay because they only get the traveler's visa, right? And then they're hoping that it becomes something longer. But yeah. you get rejected, you spend more money trying to get a lawyer, trying to plead your case, you get rejected again. And by the time you've been rejected, maybe once or twice, your money's finished. Yeah. Now you're left with two options. Go back to your country with nothing or stay as an illegal immigrant. And a lot of them, they choose to stay. Because, I mean, I don't know, you don't know the state of the country that they've left anyway in the first place. Mm. Um, and maybe they do have nothing to go back to. But then being illegal immigrants then put them in a, in a position where there's only so much that you can do. There's only so much you can accomplish in a country where you... Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was... It was uh, one of the characters, or there was a section actually where he talks about that. And I could see those people who were always by the masjid in this story when I was reading it. I think it was about a character who would come from Malawi. But yeah, I could see the stories of these people right here in this book and I just remember writing in some of the sections like this is so true I've seen this in Berlin I've seen people like this in Berlin I've met these people and Um, and this is the reality and sometimes I wonder what what it is what is it that we can do to help people out of this or get through this literally what is it that that you can do to help yeah I think on that point it kind of there's two things I think often when we speak about making a change we always individualize it in a way um and obviously this is like a structural issue so it speaks to yeah it is it is a structural issue that needs to be addressed on a macro level but it obviously involves people on the micro level doing the doing the organizing but like there's a role for all of us to play whether that is like signing petitions i just think it, we've just gotten to a state where 
and I'm, I'm speaking for myself, where sometimes mm-hmm. the, the building blocks to making the change just seem so far away that you're like, where do we start? And then because loads of us are questioning the where do we question. start, it generates mm-hmm. like apathy to other people's conditions. Because the truth of it is, like whether we want to admit it or not, when these things happen, to some extent, our lives continue as normal. So in as much as we care, because our lives doesn't stop in the same way that other people's lives stop, the actions that we take is not on the same level. Like it reminds me of that hadith of, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, the ummah is supposed to be one body, right? Like if you think about the symbolism mm-hmm. of that hadith, if one part of your body, like when I have a toothache, because I have loads of tooth problems, like my whole body is not functioning. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like if that happened yeah, in do. reality, and obviously it's like an idealistic kind of thing but i'm just saying if that happened in reality our lives wouldn't continue in the way that it continues Mm -hmm. but yeah like we've kind of learned to compartmentalize i feel like we've i was about to say yeah i also think that's also for our own well-being of course when i was on twitter every day like when like every time you see things like it doesn't Uh, it can kill it can actually kill you part of it is also us compartmentalizing for our own well-being it's a very complex discussion it's not black and white to be honest i agree um but i also think we've we've i think that I, I think I was listening to Hartwell today, for example, and Rahman Murphy was talking about how the world continues to push for individualistic societies, especially in the West. But the, the yeah. problem with an individualistic society is that you don't care if that person in that country is going through whatever that person is going through because you need to be okay and you need to make it and go to work and, and get your achievements. And it was like the danger of that is that, I mean, this is just, you're going to continue to live in oppressive systems you yeah. might not see how you how it's an oppression to other people because obviously you're in your bubble and you're living your life but that, and that's not how it's supposed to be i mean especially as muslims because we have responsibilities mm. and just, it's just something i think about yes it's important to take care of your mental health and yourself because if you're not fully okay then you can't really help but it's also important to think about these things and ways in which you can actually actively make some form of change um, yeah. yeah i think that's really important um and also i think when i was reading the book as well i was just thinking about just how precarious life is and so much of what we put our um, trust in because to be honest no one at the time yes there were like political things at play but no one thought syria could descend into what it did we are i feel like to some extent we are comfortable because we don't envision our world changing to be what we see outside but the people that are now, in those situations, you never envisioned it either. And mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. why empathy is important. Like, you can't just watch your neighbor's house be on fire and then think, oh, that mm-hmm. doesn't concern mm-hmm. me. And Helen Abila does it really well with what he does with the main character. Remember how yeah. he's on the train listening to someone's story, and next mm-hmm. thing you know, he forgets his bag that contains his passport yeah. and ends up on a train taking people to refugee camp. Such My a heart. random thing to happen. But nobody would have thought in their lives that would happen to them. Mm. One minute you're a free citizen, doing your thing, living your best life, even at an apartment to go back to. Next minute you're in a refugee camp trying to convince people that you're not a refugee and your passport is not with you because you've forgotten it on the train. That was like a heartbreaking point in the book. Because you're just I, like, I stopped oh, and I was one, like, one, one, it, like the way that was written was actually really, really well. It was, so it was done so well. And like there was part of it as well that I think like I think occasionally this gets this gets um attention but it doesn't stay sustained in the news which is kind of like 
modern day trafficking slash slavery. So particularly I know in Nigeria it's quite rampant. Um, and loads of people kind of exploit people's desperation of wanting to leave the country and wanting to escape, I suppose, the hopelessness of being there at times. And so a lot of these people are promised a better life only to end up in some of these countries in the UAE to be slaves, maltreated, their passports are seized, they can't come back home. And that's another dark element of the black migrant experience that we're not acknowledging. And it just makes me sad. It absolutely makes me feel disgusted that some of these people are Muslims, right? Like... There's no, there's no ethics to the behavior. That's mm. what it is. Like some people have just disregarded their principles and it's about oppression. I think race has to do with it in this of context course. because a lot of them are black. A lot of them are from like West African. So there is that element of like superiority. But the trend, the trend of this level of modern day slavery is really disturbing. And it's still going on. I think that's the, the, the one thing that always breaks my heart is First of all, as you said, I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think it comes up that much in the media, but it's something it that's makes actually continue, continuously going on. You'd read stories here and there of someone who managed to escape, or maybe not even, but they just got their story out there. Yeah. And again, I, it's really sad because I wonder. I can see how if you're living in somewhere where you have no choice but to want to leave because mm. there's just no hope then it's very easy to be manipulated or to be to be promised something and you just hold on to that thing that you're promised. Exactly. Obviously not wanting to verify. And you obviously, when you see, from what you see in the TV, in the movies, you're like, you're convinced that anywhere but your country where you're in has to be better. It's the promise of a better land. Yeah, but I think at the heart of this book is really about human experience and empathy. Like if I had to sum up this book, it would be empathy. That's why I think it's an important book for everyone to read. To at I, least I like think it's a very just open their eyes yeah. to a different yeah, like to the different experiences of these that are around us. Um and I think part of the reason why so I wanted to give a little shout out, um not a little big shout out to Amalia because I think the series that they're doing in terms of like letters to Syria is so important in terms of like archiving people's memories, people's stories, mm-hmm. people's recollections. Like it's stuff that we are going to look back on, I feel, years to come and appreciate that someone documents it. So important because stories define generations to come. So I think they're doing really important work. That's really good. Uh, I, I, yeah. I'm a, literally, I'm a big fan of storytelling in any form. And I just mm. always believe firmly that storytelling can change lives, can bring about impacts beyond what you would even imagine that that story that's been told would bring. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Archiving is so invaluable because that's how we, we lose entire histories of, of people or we forget about people. And I think when you archive, you're giving people, especially those who, from Syria, they've had to flee what they've always known, right? But you have something to touch base on or something. I mean, yeah. even, even no matter how little, you have something to go back to and say, hey, I'm not alone. Or, hey, mm. just the other people like me who also are trying to find their feet and go into this. A book, which we are going to read at some point, Boy Everywhere, is one that I absolutely adore and love. It was one of my best yeah. reads of 2020 because even though it's told, it's a middle grade book and it's told from the perspective of a 14-year-old boy, I think, maybe 13, mm. maybe 13. It follows their lives as they're operated from Syria and all of the journeys that they take to get to the UK. Yeah. And it's wild, but again, it's such an important story. And I love that she also as well spoke to actual refugees right so mm. even though it's a fiction it's still documenting the experience it's such such an important thing k 
couldn't agree more. Is there anything else that you want to bring up in terms of books? The last quote that stood out to me was so on like somebody. So there's a place that the refugee stays, right? In the book, it talks about it, the place that all of the refugees live. And yeah. they were gonna were they gonna close it down or something? I don't remember what they were gonna do to it. And there's a, a, a line where he said the neighbors it appeared had complained to the council that they felt threatened, their daughters and their sons were not safe on the streets where refugees sold drugs and got drunk and fought. The aliens had turned the entire street into a dumpster, trash everywhere. And this resonated with me for two reasons. When I first moved to Berlin and I was complaining about, well, not really complaining, but just talking about my experiences of racism and just how people are, someone tried giving me an explanation that somebody else had given her about why people are like this. And this explanation yeah. goes like so. Goes, Imagine you've been living in the country for a long time and your parents have been living in that country and your parents, from basically your ancestors, right? I've been living in the country for a while. And then people start to move into your country. How would it make you feel? And I was like, it's just a country. The land belongs to God. But her, her explanation <laughs> is, is that these people are treating people like this because they're afraid and it's a new culture, it's a new thing. I'm like, it's one thing to be curious, to be skeptical. It's another thing yeah. to react to violence, with hatred, mm. to despise people just because of the way that they look, because they don't, they're not like you, because they're other than you. And yeah. this neighbors complain that the refugees sold drugs. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not just the refugees that, that sells drugs, right? Even if they did, right? Let's say they did sell drugs. It's not just the refugees drugs and there's just there's so much to unpack but it, it annoys me that people limit it to this one what's the word narrow-minded short-sighted example of why people are the way that they are and the yeah. second thing that just brought to mind to me was I told somebody about my experiences of racism in Germany and then she was like to me well it might just be that the Germans because Germans are very Germans are very direct direct people they don't do like a nice friendly polite like we do in England right and oh. so she was like to me, um, well, you know, the UK has a huge colonialist uh, history and that might be why British, and that's why British people feel the need to be nice to immigrants. And the US has a really bad slavery history and that's kind of potentially why they also feel the need to be nice to immigrants. But however, um, since Germany doesn't have such a colonialist, which they do, but anyways, <laughs> have such a colonialist uh, history and perhaps that's why they don't feel the need to be nice to immigrants and I just sat there and I looked at her and I was like hmm interesting, interesting stuff interesting stuff I don't need you to be nice to me I just want you to treat me as a normal human being right Legit. I think that's it bothered me that somebody had gone she'd gone through the length of creating that entire narrative to justify mm. how people were treating other people like trash. Man, it's horrible. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I, I was speechless that. because I was trying to piece the, the puzzles together, but I couldn't. I was like, like connect from A to Z. What is the logic in this? Right. And I couldn't find the logic. Um, but I think being in Berlin has, has made me have more and more conversations about race. I mean, I yeah. don't like being in the forefront of these conversations because they're mentally exhausting especially when you're talking to people who are not of quote unquote of color because first mm. you have to relive the trauma of the experiences 
Then you have to explain yourself to them. Then you have to convince them that it's not a one-off. It's not all in your oh head. Oh, my God. It's not because of this and it's not because of that. It's not because of that. Furthermore, in addition, <laughs> it's like you're writing an essay. Boy, boy, boy. <laughs> and it's like you're trying an essay. You need to understand that because it's your, it's your opinion. You should be open to criticism and challenge. I'm like, this is my experience. What are you challenging? What are you criticizing <laughs> in my experience? Maybe your I mind have. made it up. So I'd have mm-hmm. that. How about that feeling of unsafe is not tangible? If I can't touch it and I can't see it, it's not real. So it must be in your mind. I think that's why this book resonated strongly with me. Because Uh, so many things I'd experienced, I'd seen, was just written so well. And you know, it's just that feeling when when a story resonates so strongly with you. I guess I come away from the book feeling like, wow, someone sees and someone hears. And I don't have to explain to the person yeah that is true it's like yeah the power of understanding which mm, is ultimately mm, i think what mm. everyone wants is that ability to have someone sit across from you and say i might not have walked in your shoes but i get it like or i'm i, mm-hmm. I want to understand i mean it's even better if you like you're able to connect with someone who gets it because you have like shared experiences because that's where connection yeah. comes mm-hmm. from but yeah, it just goes back to our ability to empathize. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to have walked in someone's shoes to empathize with yeah, them. And I, think that's yeah. really I mean, I don't even want, I, I mean, it's okay if you don't even understand, but I don't want you to then tell me maybe I'm overthinking it. I want you to just listen. And if you have nothing good to say, just don't say anything at all. That's or just say, point. I can hear listen. you, whatever it is, but just don't, don't tell me maybe it's in my head. Or maybe it's just that one person. Oh. And you know, sometimes people, they come in for, because one thing I encountered is always people coming from a good place and they say stuff like, oh, don't let it get to you. I'm like, you're telling me. I'm, I've been through these experiences. Trust me, I know I shouldn't let it get to me, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it gets to you when it's too much. Over and over again, it does get to you. Okay. This reminds me of a conversation from a podcast that I really, really love right now. It's called Higher Learning. And they were having a discussion about allyship, right? And I think now what you're saying kind of makes me want to ask you the question of what are the experiences? Because I think some people, like you said, in that aspect of you're telling someone about your experience and yes, they might not, they may not be the same race as you, but what you're looking for, I suppose, is allyship and understanding. So like what, what have been the instances in the past where you felt like someone was a good ally and then like you've mentioned, I suppose you've mentioned it now, like instances of people thinking that they, they get it, but actually their conversation or their language betrays that they don't get it. Do you know what I mean? So I would, I guess I can come from the perspective of what I think shows that they don't get it. So for example, and the thing okay. is sometimes I, I, I don't like talking about my experiences, especially of racism with people who are not black or, or yeah. not of color to an extent, because I don't, because I personally don't want to have to explain myself. So I'm only talking about this to someone who is not Black if they've asked me specifically, right? And again, it's a mental preparation. And I remember there was a guy who's Arab and he asked, oh, are you finding Berlin so far? So this is like a month into my stay. And I was like, to be honest, um, I just, I had expectations and I, I think that's something I should never have as a Black person when I go anywhere in Europe, which is sad, but I should just not have expectations because people are going to shatter it. And he was like, why what happened and I was explaining something that happened to me on the bus and he was like oh but then you have nothing like and then he was like but if anyone has anything to worry about it should be me because I'm Arab and one time I went into the store and the guy didn't want to attend to me but he attended to my white friends and I was like and I literally had to tell him it's not it's not a competition of racism it's it's my experience and and so I just felt like even though he was a person of quote unquote color color um, (laughs) 
didn't, it didn't understand right whereas i've had someone who is white american and she's asking me how have you been in berlin and i'm telling her exactly what i've been through and she's not stopping to say oh my god i know how that feels or oh my god i know some she's just listening right and once i'm done she's like oh i mean i don't need you to i don't want you to feel like you should apologize but she's like i'm sorry you had to go through that people say that a lot in general anyway but yeah she's like, i'm sorry you had to go through that and i'm like it's fine like you didn't have to apologize i just like it's just one of those things unfortunately that you have to go through as a black person as a black muslim or visibly muslim person um, but it was just nice to see that she was hearing and she was asking, how did that make you feel? Or when this happened, how did you deal with it? Or if you want to share more, I'm here for you. Like It was just nice to that she wasn't coming at me to ask me if it was a one-off or maybe it's just how all Germans are. And maybe I'm expecting them to be nice to me because I've had that as well um, Yeah. Um, from a friend. So we were in a restaurant, he was ordering in German, I was ordering in English because at that point I decided to not learn German ever again because they didn't deserve me. And um, that was a decision. I mean, no, because it was too much. I, I, at first I was like, I'm going to still try to learn. But I remember there was just, there was a time in October where I went through like three weeks of just experience over experience over experience. And I was like, no, nah, I can't do this to myself. How can I learn a language? <laughs> Please, they don't deserve right. me. So he's mm. ordering in German. I'm ordering in my English, right? And the limited German I'd learned before I stopped. And then he was like to me, so how's your German going? Because obviously I was struggling to order. And I didn't care how long it took, but I guess yeah. he cared. And he was like, um, how's German going? I said, I'm not learning German anymore. And then he was like, but don't you think that if you were to learn if you learn German they would treat you something along the lines of they would treat you better and I got really I got really upset I was really really upset and when I'm upset my voice my volume tone of voice goes high because I'm like what do you mean I was like what do you I just I so I have to speak the language for you to acknowledge me as a human being and treat me as a person and I was like, that doesn't even count because I know a lot of black people who speak German and are still treated like trash. Yeah. So, like, it's just, it doesn't add up. But I was like, really... That's a, that's a weird justification. That's a weird explanation or incentive. That's what I want to say. That's a weird incentive to give someone. Like, learn the language and maybe you might experience a little less racism. How about I don't want to experience it either way? Full stop, right? Whether I speak your language or not. And the thing is, that was a friend of mine, again, who was an immigrant. And I, I, would, I didn't know why. I mean, I didn't assume. I just thought maybe you'd understand, right? Mm. And it was a heated conversation and I explained myself. But it also made me realize that sometimes, I mean, it's, sometimes there will be people who are also of color um, and yeah. would, who would not get it, who cannot be allies. I've met a black person t- who told me that. That is interesting. But it's like, unfortunately, because I mean, so- but it's true. Like, just because you you belong to the same race, so to speak, doesn't mean that your experiences mm-hmm. are the same. Doesn't mean that your view of the world, yeah, will be the same. Sorry, I caught you off there. Yeah, when have you? I was gonna say, when have you felt heard? When have I felt heard? Oh my! I'm trying to think of instances where I've had conversations about race, and I think, oh my god, it's actually quite unfortunate because now that I think about it, a lot of the conversations that I would have sometimes at uni, it tends to be more on the explanatory side, like where you're having to mm. explain your experiences, and I think it's a it's a fine line between, like you mentioned, someone listening to you. And someone kind of like asking you questions in a way that implies that you have to ju- justify mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you have to provide reasoning for 
or defend or that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, you, where you have to defend why it is that you feel a particular way about something. And I think then it creates a mental space where you feel unsafe to broach certain topics. Mm-hmm. 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 But mm-hmm. I also remember very keen instances where like people that I knew said things that, that were out of bounds and I had no problem <laughs> calling them out. Because <laughs> if you're going to say certain words around me, we're gonna have a conversation about it like I think it's important like it's important that we have that confidence um and this isn't even about racism but I remember when I was working um my first job there was a time where we were at dinner and the conversation came up about microaggressions and I happened to be in that team there was two of us that were from a minority background oh my god I hate using that phrase I'm gonna keep saying that I hate using that phrase I was black the other person was Asian I'm the most junior person in the team the Asian person is like a manager and a partner was at that table and the person that brought up the conversation was a lawyer so obviously I'm the most junior person in that team and I remember the conversation coming up about microaggressions and what he was saying was just so out of bounds that I was like oh man I can't keep shut <laughs> like sometimes I can't hold myself back it's a matter of wisdom but I it's think I, okay I think of myself as a little Oprah you know Oprah in my own right I like to prod my manner my mannerism and approach to certain topics has changed a lot because what I really want to get people to do is to think about what they're saying I'm not going to defend myself to you but what I'm going to do is ask questions that that you can at least show me that you're thinking through things so what I will do is prod and I will ask follow-up questions <laughs> and I will that's, continue. No, that's important because you need to understand to how you it. think in the way that you think you have to show I want to understand. I want to understand the thought process. So then what I'll do is just continue to and I feel like I learned that from Malcolm as well. That's one thing that's one of the reasons I love like he was so good at dissecting people. That's a skill mm-hmm. that I want to mm-hmm. get better at. It doesn't but just sometimes take it at a surface like, level, right? No, I don't have the energy to it's shout like, anymore. I just don't have the energy. I don't have it. I don't have it. I'm all, I'm mm-hmm. all, what do you call it? Spent about like shouting at people, trying to defend my existence to people. Mm-hmm. If you don't get it, I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to get it. I can't, <laughs> I don't know if I have the energy to hold your hand. <laughs> I can try and help, but if I see it's a lost case, mm. I'm not. I'm not gonna be there. But yeah, I think it can, it can be exhausting to be in spaces where you feel like you constantly have to watch who you are. Yeah, like, and you have to defend what your experience is. So that's that. Is there anything else you want to bring up? No, I think that touches on everything. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other story that I actually thought was really well written was the one about um the victim of Boko Haram. Like the way it is that inadvertently mm. someone becomes a refugee. There's a there's a um quote from the book. I need to find it because it was so well written where he was like, I didn't know until we left the country or something. Let me find it. Oh, okay. So there's here's the quote. It says, Why did I leave my country? Well, I didn't even know I was leaving my country. We ran all night long, we crossed the stream and in the morning they told us we were in another country, Cameroon. We camped in an open field at a school, sleeping on the grass, men and women and children, still two days to know what was happening. But our ordeal was not over yet. In fact, it was just beginning. Two days later, the terrorists crossed the stream and attacked that schoolyard, killing over half of the people as they slept in the open. The rest of us, the lucky ones, we had to run again. We ran for a whole day. And when we finally stopped, they told us we were in another country, the Federal Republic of Niger. I was refugee. I had no family, no home, no friends. The people running with me were my new family. Um, and I think that story, again, like with Boko Haram and people that had been displaced, it was weird, right? So when I was um, in Nigeria for NYC, one of the friends that I met, shout out to Akmal G, is we- again, and, and this is me acknowledging 
blind spots, right? Because I'm saying that we continue to live our lives with things happening. I'm Nigerian. I know about Boko Haram. SubhanAllah, it's so strange because basically what she did, she goes to Nigeria occasionally, like um, she lives in Nigeria occasionally. And what she does is she organizes like language classes um, for the kids. So it just so happens that when I was in Abuja for NYC, she was organizing this day out for the girls at the IDV camp. And it just makes you think about just how important it is, right, on a, on a minuscule scale for us to be looking around to think about where does my skill fit in terms of helping people? Where, like, all she did was, like, put up her post on her Instagram. Mashallah, she has, like, over 10,000 followers. And so many people donated money, alhamdulillah. And, like, she was able to give, to give these girls a day that they will forever remember. But more importantly, mm. her going into the camp, like, every, every week, and just being there, teaching them English, helping them, like forming that connection, it makes so much of a difference. And I, I can, I can never forget oh, one of the so girls sweet. there. Yes. Um, like she took my phone throughout the day, and she would just take pictures and videos, and she was having so much fun. And she told me that she wanted to be a photographer. So but yeah, it's just acknowledging that these are people so with real stories, with real lives. Yeah. Like they have dreams, existence they have which is uprooted have... exactly. Whose existence is just uprooted. And so when when mm. people are anti immigrant or people again when people lack empathy and I think like in Nigeria because of the religious tension sometimes mm. we just mm. don't acknowledge that there is a lot that we can do to make a difference and that like That's again shout that smile because she really inspired me to think about what is it that I can offer to people yeah it was such a beautiful it was such a beautiful thing to witness and it's hard to describe like how impactful that was but Sometimes it annoys me though when people are anti-immigrant because or anti-refugees because I always tell them, do you really think your country is all that that people would want to just or oh, just leave their country? It's not like it was never a choice that they had to make for themselves. It was yeah. forced out of their country. It's like out of desperation that loads of people leave. Literally, they were comfortable. They had good lives, and then just like that, it was gone. It could, and the thing is but are refugees it could happen to anyone it really can and so my call to action honestly for all of us is like what can we do to make each other's lives better like there's so many great initiatives right now Sheikh Zahir Mahmoud is in Syria like um subhanAllah it's like the stories on his page as well are so inspiring but yeah whatever it is that we can do like never think that an action is small that's the reminder that I keep yeah, telling myself. I like, agree. never, even if like it's only one pound that you can donate at that po- moment, or five pound that you can donate at that moment, or you can just like volunteer your time, nothing. go to a food oh. kitchen, like whatever it is. Let's just do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. life is temporary, life is precarious. We don't know what yeah. tomorrow bodes for anyone. You of always us. get back when you give, anyway. That's, exactly. That's exactly. This is an important book, I would say. Very, very bad. But anyway, let's go on to our favorite quote. Glad you stop. I mean, we have one in common. Oh, you might as well read it. <laughs> a black person's relationship with Europe will always would always need qualification. He or she couldn't simply be native European. They had there had to be an origin explanation. And I, I love highlighted this because that because it sums up my life in every <laughs> city I've ever lived in. Let me tell you, I'm not joking. I'm gonna write I was thinking of I'm gonna start blogging again, God. And I was thinking of writing about how I have actually I'll send you a link. But yep. anyways, um I was thinking about writing about how there, there came a point in time when I was in Berlin, I started telling people I was from London, Nigeria. And I also then had to explain to them that Nigeria is a separate country from London, as in England, <laughs> so it didn't have to confuse them. 
has like London in Nigeria no because I got so tired of because I've come from London right so when people ask me where you're from when I'm in Berlin or in Lisbon or wherever Oxford wherever right I'm just always like I'm from London because I have come from London yeah and they ask where you from where your ancestors from where your father's father from and I mean I know that that's what they're looking for so every time anyone asks asks me where you're from I know that they're not asking they don't want me to say London that's not what they're looking for but then you're I come from London so you're a rebel I'm just like London Nigeria <laughs> You was stress me out, man. I just have. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Just because I'm not Nigerian, just so they don't ask a question of where are you really from. Just don't ask. Where your daddy from? Where's your Where your grandparents from? It's it's really annoying to be honest. Yeah. And I've had like very weird experiences again, but we'll write about that one day inshallah but yeah you read you okay so um since we shared that first one my second one was have you ever been on a refugee boat pray you never do pray a country never breaks up into civil strife and war that you are chased out of your home and i thought that really summed up the book really well what's your next one my second favorite quote which i've told everybody about actually i've quoted this a lot since I've read this book and yeah and there is no loneliness like the loneliness of a stranger in a strange city obviously as someone who's lived in several different cities I didn't think I just felt like the statement was so true mm. and there could be no other way to express this and Berlin is one of those places and I've met a lot of people who especially like migrants from other countries especially like black people who say in their first year in Berlin they really wanted to move back yeah and then slowly you, you start to find people find a community and then slowly but it's one of those countries that's very one of those cities that's very difficult you find your own and it's even worse when you move in the winter and during lockdown a time like this I would never advise someone to move somewhere like Berlin because you would have to do a lot of work to find communities so yeah that that line was just such a good good summary of people's experiences I've met and personal experience of being in Berlin especially that's a great place to end it what's the latest book that you're reading well I am I was was finished today um, yeah. Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson I loved Ooh. that book it, it was a poetic read it's quite short 145 pages it's written yeah. in second person and I do have a predilection for books written in the second person or stories written in the second person. They have a special place in my heart. So um, that was a very pleasant read. I, would say, I recommend it to everyone. It's, it was so raw. I oh. What are you reading? That sounds good. I'm reading, or I'm about to start reading, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, which is our next book for mm-hmm. Conversations. And I've had this book on my Kindle for so long, well, for the past few months. I think I'm, I'm finally going to start reading it. It's called The Gilded <gasps> One. I really want to hear your thoughts because I was going to buy it. Fantasy, and I was like, let me see what because that's ready. your lane, isn't it? exactly i'm a fantasy girl guys pray for me that i'm able to write my own fantasy book like can you imagine i pray i'm gonna pray for you imagine how sick that would be yeah so i'm really looking forward to reading it would be so good good. i'm excited i've seen so many good things about it so many good things and it's been in the new quite a few times it is a trilogy that's something people need to retire please no more trilogy just leave it at one book like if it doesn't need to be three books don't don't stretch out 
Right. Maybe it needs to. You maybe you're gonna finish it. And you're gonna be like, oh my okay. god, I can't wait. And I'm gonna change my mind. So, Fingers crossed. Yeah. Let's see. Let's I can't up. wait to see you. Hear your thoughts. That's the end of the show. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Conversation. <laughs> we hope you gained benefit from the discussion. If you've enjoyed the episode, remember to like, review, comment, and share it with friends and family. The reason why I'm laughing is because my family has been in the background of this episode so much. But obviously, you know, I'm not gonna hear it because I'm gonna edit it out. <laughs> Anyway, Motivations is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and several other platforms. Don't forget to give us that five-star rating, guys. Email us your thoughts at bookforsationspod at gmail.com and let us know what books you want us to check out. Till next time, remember to read. Remember to read. Reading is fun, guys. Mm -hmm.